Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to the book of 2 Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to go back to our series here tonight on victorious Christian living. And I know that it's very, uh, it's very tiring. This seems like anything but victorious Christian living. But because we're looking at the downward fall of David, and it, it seems like when he hits the bottom, he just keeps going down. But in order for us to have victory, you have to understand how much it's going to cost to have victory. You can, you can win all the games that you want, but you won't learn through your wins, your victories. You learn a lot through your losses. And so if we can look at David's losses here, perhaps we can use, borrow some wisdom from his downfall and avoid that so that we don't end up in the same place. I want you to see 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read here. Uh, we, we saw that, that, that David saw Bathsheba and uh, he committed adultery with her. And now he's bringing uh, Uriah back because he wants to pin this on Uriah and, and somehow get out of the guilt and uh, so here's his brilliant idea, 2 Samuel chapter 11, look at verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now this is after David had done his best to get Uriah to go down and be with his wife so he could cover up his sin. And that didn't work. So now he says, I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to put it in Uriah's hand. Well, What's wrong with that? He's going to write a letter to Joab. Isn't that nice? He's got a pen pal. No, this is a really, really bad letter. Verse 15. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. He put a death sentence into the hand of one of his most loyal servants. There's no doubt that Uriah admired David and, and, and considered it a great honor to be called to the house of, of David and to feast with the king. And, and he, was, he was such a, a, pure, a man pure of heart that he was, not, he was not suspecting that David had it out for him. David was going to kill him. And I'm going to give you several points. I'm going to give you five points tonight, and that will help us to gauge the time a little bit. And uh, the first point is this. My sin profoundly hurts those who are most loyal to me. My sin profoundly hurts those who are most loyal to me. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, when you wake up or, or, or when you're sitting there slumped over on your bed and you feel the weight of the world, your whole life has crashed in because of a sin that you've done. I want you to go forward in your mind and think of that. And, and, and recognize you're not there yet. But, but if you get there, these things will have been true in your life. And this is one. Your sin will profoundly hurt the people who are most loyal to you. Uriah is carrying this letter. And he has no idea that this letter says, kill the bearer of this letter. The bearer of this letter is entitled to die. He's the one carrying it. Our sin harms even those who love and admire us. It's very important to remember this. You see, the cover-up, in order for a cover-up to succeed, the perpetrator, the one who's trying to deceive, has to be trustworthy at least has to be trusted, has to be unsuspected. So in order for this thing to work, Uriah had to look at David as a great king. He had to consider that he was, um, that he was a good leader for the battle. And David banked on the fact that Uriah would not open this letter. Why? Because Uriah was loyal. He was a good soldier. And, and even more than that, Uriah had no inkling of a thought that David would want him to die. 
Why, why would he want me to die? What, what have I done? I've, done? I've done nothing but obey his orders. I've said, yes, sir. I've carried it out. I have been faithful. I've been loyal. See, sin profoundly hurts those who are most loyal to us. They don't even see it coming many times. They don't even see it coming. And the reason why Uriah didn't see this coming is because David's prior conduct had been, had been such that he, no one would have ever thought that he would do something like this. The Bible says, let him that, stand, that, that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Have you found, it, have you found it anything in your life where some, it was just an absolute jaw-dropping surprise that they fell? that they committed an egregious sin. We understand that in the heart, in the heart of that person that committed the sin, this has been going on for a while. No one really falls into sin. They, they figure out a plan to where they can look like they're not sinning, and then they sin. I mean, they, they work on it and figure this thing out. But, but what often is not remembered, your sin is going to hurt the people who are most loyal to you. Your parents, your siblings, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your children. Here, Uriah, carry this letter. Absolutely, sir. Right away, sir. I will go and take this letter, which tells uh, tells Joab to kill me. I am ready to die for your adultery, sir. No one would, you know, we would never ask anyone to say that, but that's exactly what he is asking him to say. He's asking him to take this letter and kill himself. Allow himself to be killed because of David's sin. So when you think that it doesn't really bother, I mean, it's just me. Apparently you don't understand who is loyal to you and who loves you and who cares about you. The wages of sin is death. And the only way that David is going to be able to escape death now at this point is to have somebody else die. He's going to carry out this plot in order to to save himself embarrassment. It's not like he'd been planning this for weeks and months ahead of time. It was a spur of the moment decision because what happens is sin starts to take over. You've got it all under control, and then you realize, wait, if it's either him or me, it's him. It's not going to be me, I'll tell you that. And you don't realize that. You you think, I don't intend for anybody to get hurt. I mean, it it was just momentary pleasure. It was for me. It wasn't for anybody else. But sin takes over. And now... You got to cover this thing up and you got to figure out how to how, how to get this off of you. It's not me, it's him. You know, cover this thing up and 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 the guy who loves you the most, your mom who has prayed for you and cared for you is going to be hurt the most because of your sin. Just keep that in mind. My sin hurts those who are most loyal to me. So here's a question for you. Do I care? Do I care? Okay, so you want to you you want to begin to invest emotionally in someone. I saw I, sh- I was in Buffalo, New York, for a family conference for a couple days, and and I saw uh, this um, sign in a shop, and it said Josh Allen is the football uh, is a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills football team, and the little sign said, "I'm in an emotional relationship with Josh Allen." And it's supposed to be funny, and I guess it's funny because Josh Allen has no idea who you are. But I wonder if there's anyone that would say, I'm in an emotional relationship with someone right now. Nothing physical, not even real communication, but that person and me, we know that there's something there. You know what? That's wicked. It's wicked. It's not a victimless crime. How do I know that? Well, number one, you're sinning against God. So he's a victim of your sin. Okay, so what's happening? You're allowing yourself to get into something for yourself, and you don't care how it affects other people in your life. You've got to watch yourself. Because before you know it, that emotional relationship is going to turn into some type of verbal or written communication. And when it does, 
It's like putting a match to the fuel and it's off to the races. You're not going to be able to put that fire out. The Bible likens adultery to a fire. It spreads. Well, it's just a friend from high school. Is it someone of the opposite gender? You probably don't need friends from high school from the opposite gender. You don't need them. Well, it doesn't mean anything. Says who? Hey, I'm of the opinion, and I've had this since I was a teenager. Whenever it's a guy and a girl, it means something to one or the other, or both. It doesn't mean anything to me. Well, then it probably means something to the other one. And you think they're going to admit that it means something to them and not to you? Of course they're not going to admit that. It's going to continue to go and to go and to go. You've got to be careful. Why? Because we can have secret communication all day, every day now, nowadays. You've got to watch yourself. You are going to affect someone that loves you. What should you do? You should ask yourself, do I care? Do you care if your wife is crying hot tears and you see the mascara running down her face because she can't believe you would do this? Do you see yourself sitting down, talking to your kids, trying to explain somehow why daddy is leaving mommy? You want that on your conscience? You want to have that conversation? Oh, I, uh, uh, let me guess. It'll never go that far. You're strong enough to, to, to say no. You know where the line is. You're fooling yourself. You're, you're lying to yourself. You know what you should do with the opposite gender? You should treat them as sisters with all purity, men. That's what, that's what the Lord told us. The, the younger women as sisters with all purity. When did, when did you hit on your sister? When did you have an emotional relationship with your sister? If you did, you shouldn't have. Hey, God wants you to treat them respectfully and kindly. If you find yourself constantly standing, and and this is going to go into more theory and my personal opinion, so take it as such. I, I try not to get comfortable when talking to ladies that are not my wife. I try not to lean and talk and laugh and connect and all that. Why? Because it's none of my business. She's somebody else's wife. Stand up straight, talk to her, say, here's the thing, this is the thing, and oh, that was great, and thank you for that, and blah, 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 and professional, and then I'm gone. Why? You can think I'm cold-hearted. I don't give a rip, ladies. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be nice. I respect you and your husband. Ladies, do the same. If you're not getting the emotional whatever you need from your husband, why steal it? If you're not getting what you need, money that you need, you're going to go to the bank and rob it? No, stop stealing from other people. Go to God in prayer. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it's, hard. it's not hard. Of course it is. But, but maybe you, you need to stop telling God what you deserve to have and ask God for what you'd like to have. Amen? Is this too hard to preach? I didn't mean to be this hard to preach. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, we've got to be careful. This is a sex-obsessed culture. Absolutely obsessed. And you can survive without an emotional attachment, even to your spouse. Yes, you can survive. You can be faithful. You can do what's right. And hey, if you need help with your marriage, you want to you talk about it, I'll be happy to help. I'm not going to drag it out forever because I know this. You, what you need is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and some humility. And, and by God's grace, God can work that thing out. Another thing you need is time. Right? I, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm saying you've got to be very, very, very careful because there comes a point when it's going to be rough riding. And you've got to say, God, I'm humbling myself to what you say, and I will wait. I will wait for you to work this thing out, and I will do what I'm supposed to do. No one would have believed that that one long, lingering, lustful look would lead to murder, but it did. My sin hurts those who are most loyal to me. Number two, my sin makes me devious and nonsensical. Devious and nonsensical. 
Look at chapter 11, verse 16. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. He's following his, his orders. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war and of the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Apparently Joab's heard this speech many times. He, he knows what David's going to say. Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also, which should make everything okay. All right? Joab knows that this is an insane military strategy. He knows that, that take, it's stupid to take your best warriors and put them in harm's way for no reason. Take away all their protection, all their cover, their, their air cover. Take, take away anyone that could help them. Cut off the supply line. He knows that it, it, it's, it's stupid. And, 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 and so jo, Joab says, all right, this makes no sense, but I'm going to follow the dictates. I'm going I'm to do what my senior officer tells me to do. So what happens here is that sin is eating away at David's judgment and even Joab's judgment. Our choices, our discernment becomes erratic, and the people that know us best begin to say things like, is everything okay? Because something's off. You know what you're doing? You're you're taking Great pains, mentally, a lot of energy is being consumed in order to figure out how to get this thing covered up and how to fix it. So you can't come out and say, I'm caught in the web of sin, guys, pray for me. You have to keep putting on the, uh, you know, the persona that you've got it all covered, but everybody can sense in your spirit there's something wrong with you. Have you ever seen, you ever seen that in, in your kids or maybe in, in, in your spouse or something? There's, what's wrong with you? What's eating you? Nothing, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine. You, you know, there's, I've been seeing this more and more and recognizing this. You know people have a spirit. And, and I know the New Age guys, you know, the, the hippies, they talk about the, the energy field of the body and so forth. Well, the Bible calls it a spirit. And you can sense something in someone's spirit that you may not be able to sense in their facial expression or in, in their words. There's something about their spirit. And here, Joab is thinking, What? David, you'd know better than anybody, this is not how we win wars. And yet Joab does it. And Joab knows something is up. But David's sin has made him devious and nonsensical. Sometimes people are just nonsensical. So I'm not saying your spouse does something that doesn't make sense. I wonder what deep sin they're involved in. I'm not saying that, but, but it is a clue. It is a clue. When, when, you're, when your kids are not making any sense, when they're saying one thing and doing another in their spirit, there's something off. Now, there's some folks that think they have you know, the God-given di- gift of discernment for the entire race of mankind, and they know everything that everyone is actually doing and where they should be and so forth. Uh, you know, you need to be responsible for the people that you have in your life, and you need to give people space. You give them space to repent. I mean, if, you have, if you're like the Gestapo every morning, what hidden sin do you have in your heart? I need to know. You got to give them some space. Aren't you glad that God gives you space to repent? But at the same time, when, when something doesn't make any sense, you may not realize it because it's your sin. You think, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Why do you have to keep saying it over and over again? Don't you think we would know if you were fine? That's why we asked, is everything okay? You can start to sense that. You may not realize it, but, but, but there is some damage that is being done mentally to you. You're getting your mind twisted. You're doing things that normally wouldn't make any sense, but now you're doing them. The scripture tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when a person is acting unwisely, 
It's because they don't have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The further that we go into accommodating our sin, the more we lose our reason. We stop being reasonable people. So consider the mental damage of sin. Number three, and this is a big one. God forgives my sin. Men will not. God forgives my sin. Men will not. I didn't say that they, that, that they shouldn't forgive you. They should forgive you, but they won't. Oh, they'll forgive me. No, they won't. See, you're banking on the fact that, that they will. But if you bank on the fact that they won't, that's a much safer bet. How do I know that? Joab here knows that David has gone to extraordinary measures to take Uriah out. And this was not a public execution. This was not, you know, some type of a fair trial. This was a, a secretive murder. A man that had, he had done no crimes, no charges had been brought against him, no defense, no witnesses, nothing. No appeal. In just a few short moments, Uriah's dead. And it didn't take long for Joab to put the facts together and understand exactly why David wanted this man killed. You see, people are insatiably curious. If something is in their mind that they're trying to figure, they'll work on it and work on it and work on it. And Joab said, it doesn't make any sense what, what David told me to do. And his mind was working on this thing. And he finally figured it out. And guess what? Joab, Joab held this sin over David's head for years to come. He used it to manipulate him and to harm him for the rest of his, of his life. God will pardon you and cleanse you and, and clean up your record, and he will hold nothing against you. But man will keep each failure in memory and will use it as leverage against you. You don't believe it, do you? You think because God forgives you, everybody else is going to forgive you. I'm, I'm, you're, you're, well, what about you? I'll try. I'll do my best to forgive you. Listen, I've seen a lot of junk. I've heard a lot of junk, more than I ever want to hear. But that's my job. And, and I don't like to hear the salacious details. I, I don't want to hear all the stuff. But, but people are people are people. They just are. We're all just base. Every man is a liar, right? So I understand that about people, but, but, but you know what? I, and I have to, I, you have to live with me, and I have to live with some of you, knowing the things that you've done. I'm not going to hold that against you. I, I, the Lord's given me the ability to just, hey, throw that out there, throw that out there. I know who I am. Let's, let's move on. But not everybody is going to have that same attitude towards you. And I guarantee you this. There are certain things that I could do, and you would never forgive me for that. You know that God would forgive me, and you would try to be gracious, but you would say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. And that's good for me to remember. And it's good for you to remember that there are certain things that you could do that people will never forgive. You see, the great harm in a testimony that gets lost is not Godward. God already knows who we are. He died on the cross for our sins. That's not where the testimony is. God's not fooled by anything. He knows it's the righteousness of his son that gives us any hope of heaven whatsoever. But it's man. It's the manward side of our testimony that's the greatest harm. Well, that's just not fair. That's just not right. Well, then why don't you forgive everybody? And I find that sometimes people who are the, the easiest to forgive everybody is because they really like it when everybody forgives them for their sin. I'm not saying you shouldn't forgive. I'm saying don't bank on the idea that everybody is going to say, oh, okay, we'll just restart the game. I understand we all make mistakes. Let's restart the game. Some people don't restart the game in their mind. They say, no, no, you did it. I, I will never look at you the same way again. You need to know that. You need to know that if people were to, were to know your thoughts they would not, and know your sins, they would not want to be in the same pew with you. And I understand we say, well, well, nobody, we're all sinners before God. We all, you know, have to be. And it's true. It's true. It's true. But wouldn't it be nice 
if you didn't have to worry about whether people found out about that? Wouldn't it be a load off your shoulders if you didn't have to worry about that one thing? And I hope nobody ever holds me as guilty or hope they don't find out here at Hope. You know, sometimes people move from church to church because of that very thing. It's a heavy weight. They have a hard time and they're embarrassed about it. Well, if you can learn from David and and believe that you're no better than David, you could avoid that. Sin makes you devious. God forgives my sin. And there is, as far as man's concerned, irreparable damage, damage that cannot be repaired. Everyone we harmed will always see us as the person who did that deed. Part of the cost of failure is that there is a lifelong consequence to certain sins. David may repent, he may be forgiven, he may be restored and be greatly used of God, and he was, but he was never again respected by Joab. Joab said, don't try that holy man of God, you know, son of, son of God, you know, the promised line of tribe of Judah stuff on me. I know who you are, guy. I know what you did. You know what happened? Joab lost his ability to worship and respect God because of David. Now, he could have chosen to do it himself. But David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is the one that's leading Israel in the worship of God. And now Joab can't worship God because David messed up. David, on purpose, did this and ruined it. So God forgives my sin, men will not. So consider that irreparable damage. Number four, my sin affects more people than I realize. Look at what he says in verse number 22. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. Hmm. Now we got three people involved. The messenger. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us in the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. This whole maneuver was not necessary militarily. In in chapter 12, Joab takes the city with no problem at all. Easy. Some are dead, not just Uriah. There were some women who were made widows that day. There were some children who were made fatherless that day. Why? Because David thought it was just between he and Bathsheba, but it got out of his hand. He couldn't control it. Your sin is going to affect more people than you want to to admit. So instead of celebrating victory, there were some guys that were on grave detail. They had to go dig graves for these people. They had to die. For what? Collateral damage. Why, why, why do other people need to suffer because of your sin? It's not fair. You say, well, they don't have to. It's not going to happen. You don't know that. You think you know that. And because you're deceived and think it's not going to happen to me, even though it happened to a godlier man than me, you're lying to yourself and you're going to hurt people and they're going to have a hard time in their lives. They're going to have a lot of stuff they have to work through. Why? Because you have to have what you have to have. And I deserve it. And I, that's just the way I am. That's who I am. I'm no better. I'm just a humble person. I don't, I'm not just a slug. You're just a slug that hurts people unnecessarily. You, you, you just don't care about what any, how it affects anybody else. I'm talking hard to you tonight, and I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, if this really is hitting you. I'm just saying, all of us think that our sin is harmless. We all think that it's harmless, or at the very least, it can't do any more damage than it's already done. I mean, I've done some junk, but, uh, you know, know, we all have problems. You are heartless. We all have problems as, as our kids are split up between mom and dad. We all have problems as, as, as mom can't, can, can no longer be in the same room with her husband because he's cheated on her. We, we all have problems 
as, as mom and dad cry themselves to sleep at night because you won't stop. I, I, I just, I think you don't think it actually affects people. You really don't care. Here's, here's a way to think about this. What if someone did that to you? Or even better yet, what if someone committed the sin that you've committed to your child and with your child? Are you telling me you don't have any feelings whatsoever? Nothing bothers you? Maybe you need to go to man camp somewhere and have somebody inflict pain on you so that you could get back to feeling. Maybe you need to stop watching television and seeing murders and adulteries and fornications and lust 24-7 so that you can stop deadening your senses to sin. You want to fight for your liberty to watch sin so you can deaden your heart and not care that your sin is going to hurt somebody else. Okay, I guess you have liberty to hurt people. That's what you want liberty to do. Liberty to, to, to ball your fist up against God and say, yeah, I can do whatever I want. You can say liberty to, 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 uh, to rip your own relationship with your spouse or your kids or, or your brother or sister in Christ. You can rip that apart. Why? Because you have liberty to do what you want to do. Sounds pretty selfish to me. Sounds pretty selfish to me. This idea of, you know, uh, of, of free love, it was a lie in the 60s. And it's still a lie. There is no such thing as you get what you want without paying anything for it. You will pay for it. You will. Somebody is paying for it right now because of what you're doing. I mean, I I just, I cannot understand. And forgive me, this is just probably in the flesh right here. This is not the Lord. This is me speaking. (laughs) It's never actually the Lord unless it's the Bible. Uh, I don't understand this, this thing of, uh, of pornography. Continual, 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 continual. It's like drinking poison every day because you can't stop drinking poison. You need some help? Well, then you need to make that your number one focus in your life, and you need to beg God and say, God, I want to get the victory over this thing. I am not going to be in chains. Why? Jesus Christ died naked on a cross to rescue you from that sin. You do not have to live under the weight of that sin. You do not have to chain yourself to that dead corpse. You are alive in Jesus Christ. And the more you baby yourself and feel sorry for yourself, stop it. When are you going to grow up and say, I own my choices. I will be responsible for this life. I only have one life and I'm responsible for it and I'm taking over. In the power of Jesus Christ, if I have to fast for five days straight, I will fast. I will say no to my body. I will learn. I will humble myself. I will pray at 5.30 in the morning. I will ask a brother in Christ to meet me somewhere and we'll pray together. I will call my pastor and I'll say, will you hold me accountable? I will make it happen. You, You know what we want to do? We want to hide and hide and hide so we can keep doing what we want. That's why we do it. Because we don't really think it's a sin. We think it's a sin after we get caught. Because other people bring the shame into it. You're supposed to get the shame from the word of God. You don't have to wait on somebody to bring shame into your life. God will bring you shame if you'll let him. It is a a blessed privilege from God to feel shame about sin. Thank God for it. But if you don't if you don't want God to do it and you want to stay away from it and you want to relativize it and you want to let everybody know it's not a big deal. Hey, we all struggle. Yeah. Okay. If you were to bring into the real world what's happening in the digital world and try to do that or act on that in some way and say we all struggle, you would be punched, beaten up, thrown in jail. But because it's not real, if it's not real, why are you stuck? Now listen, I care about you. I I just know that this world is wicked. It's wicked. 
And apparently we're supposed to be okay with all the junk and just keep letting it come and letting it come. And you know what I'm doing right now? I'm making myself vulnerable. And the, you think the Satan, Satan is not going to attack me because of this message right now? Of course he is. I'm, I'm no special person. But I'm telling you, God can give you the victory over this. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Fundamentalism tells us we should, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it. You know what Jesus told us? He told us to bring those thoughts and put them down in front of him. Here's what you do. You've got thoughts that you know are wrong. Envy, bitterness. Bitterness is wrong. Okay? Ladies, envy is the rottenness of the bones. You ever think about osteoporosis? Could have some, it could be some connection there. Listen, you have those thoughts. What do you do? You memorize verses about your besetting sin. And when those thoughts come, you cast them down like the woman caught in adultery in front of Jesus. And you say, this is what scripture says. This is what scripture says. This is what scripture. You don't run from it and say, I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking about that. You hold it under the the scrutinizing glare of the words of God. And it will bring those things into captivity. You don't run from it. You own it. You say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, my only hope is your word. I need your help in this scenario. And God will help you. You can get the victory. But you got to want it. you got to want it. My sin affects more people than I realize. And I need to consider the ripple effect. How many people have been hurt by my failures, who are being hurt right now by my sins. Hey, moms, how, how's, your, how's your words towards your kids? Are, are, you, are, are you a nasty person with your words? I mean, you'd never cuss, you'd never, you'd never cuss, but you'd cut people down, you'd cut them to shreds with your words. Your sin has an effect on people. And you're teaching those kids how to talk to other people when they're upset. You're telling them, here's what we do when we get mad. It's okay. We leave Jesus at church. We visit him every Sunday. But during the week here, this is how we roll. We love Jesus and all, but he just doesn't have a whole lot of effect on how we talk in this house. Listen, guys, there's there's more to the Christian life than just being saved. Being saved is the beginning of a new identity. It's the beginning of a new world. Sin, the Bible says, one sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon how many men? All men. For that all have sinned. One man plunged the entire seven point something billion people into sin. Maybe it's eight billion now. Sin always affects more lives than what we had anticipated. All David wanted to do was hide his adultery, but now their corpses all over the battlefield. Got out of his hand. Lastly tonight, this is, uh, this is going to hit us square between the eyes. Verse 25. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. He's telling the messenger, Tell him, Don't be upset. Life happens. War is a nasty business. And, 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 and David's telling them, look, encourage him. It's going to be okay, Joab. Do you see how nefarious that is? The guy just killed Uriah in cold blood. And now he's telling the man who was the instrument of the murder, he's telling him, it's going to be okay. Don't be upset. Here's the last point. My sin hates being condemned. My sin hates being condemned. 
This man whose heart once sought after God now has hardened his heart to the point that he has no feeling of guilt, no expression of remorse. It doesn't seem to bother him. It was just an, it was an accident. It, things happen. I'm telling you. It, it, it's just life. You know that you're at an advanced state when you're trying to act like it's no big deal and you're trying to be encouraging to other people. You're trying to make your home a place of, of light, you know, humor, and let's put on some music and, and let's be happy. It's okay, sweetheart. Let's go out. Let's, let's hang out. Hey, brother, how's it going? And underneath, all you're doing is running from guilt. These soldiers trusted their commanders. They went forth for God and country. They put their lives on the line. And they were murdered to hide an illicit affair. And what does the killer have the audacity to say? Let not this thing displease thee. Don't be, met. Don't be upset. David excuses himself of any responsibility. He dismisses God from his thoughts. The only thought he has is this. Did I get away with it? And if I got away with it, I'm okay. How many professing Christians have ruined their lives, ruined their marriages, ended up in some type of maybe even legal trouble as a result of what's happened? And what do they say? Let not this thing displease thee. I want you to take your Bibles, look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You see, when a person reaches the place where they no longer care about God, they no longer care about their testimony, they've given up on souls, they've given up on the Bible, holiness, they don't care if they've caused damage. Once they've reached that point, they don't want anyone else to care either. And they can't stand the idea that someone is burdened for them. It really bothers them. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. We see that Saul, in, in verse 27, uh, in, in previous before this, he, Saul offers the sacrifice, though he was not supposed to. He's supposed to wait on the prophet, but he doesn't. He offers it. Samuel tells him, uh, as verse 27, as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. So Samuel's saying, you did wrong, you're done. You're done. God had sought a man after his own heart, Right? You're done. But Saul grabs his, his, the skirt of his garment and says, no, please, no, 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 don't leave like this. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. You know you're pretty far advanced when you can't stand people who have a good testimony. And you don't like being, you don't want to hear about a guy reading his Bible or a girl who's, who's, who's trying to do right or, a, you know, a family that's raising their kids and you just, mm, something about, I can't stand that. Be careful. That could be a sign of what's going on under the surface. Look what he says here. And also, and also, the strength of Israel, verse 29, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. What's Saul's reaction? Then he said, I have sinned. Yet, honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. You want to talk about an insincere worship service? Here's Samuel and Saul standing, you know, what a fellowship, what? And Samuel's looking over, and and Samuel can't sing. And here's Saul, leaning on the everlasting, praise the Lord, amen. And Samuel just hanging his head. You know what Saul cared about? He didn't care about God. He cared about looking like he cared about God. That's why he had to make sure to always come to church, because if he missed church, that had nothing to do with God. People are going to wonder, does he still, what's going on? He said, I've sinned. Okay, you got me. So, <laughs> Samuel got me. Okay, you've been at this thing a long time. You can see I learned that. Right. But please, okay, just please let everybody else, please sell it to them like I'm a good man. You know why he couldn't handle that? Because Saul knew he wasn't a good man. 
And he knew that Samuel knew he wasn't a good man, and he couldn't stand the fact that Israel would know that he wasn't a good man, that he had sinned and that God had taken his kingdom away from him. I sometimes wonder what God would have done for Saul if Saul would have repented and humbled himself. The Bible says God had already said, I'm giving, this, I'm giving it to David. But what could Saul have done in David's kingdom if he had humbled himself? See, if you think, well, I can't let the house of cards fall now because, I, I mean, it's, it's over. You don't know the mercy that God would have in your life. The more that you run, the further, the longer it takes for you to repent. The more you're guaranteeing that there is no place for you in this kingdom. There's no place you can serve God. It's not going to get any better from here. Why keep pushing it? Why keep going forward? You say, well, I've already sinned this much. Then stop. You'll never have a better time. You'll never have fewer sins in that sense than right now. So stop. Listen, I'm not telling you, I'm going to bring you in front of the church. If you say, oh, pastor, this happened. About, I, no, uh, you sin privately. You confess privately and make it right privately to, to the extent that others are involved. You talk to them about that. But I'm telling you, it's not going to get any better. You need to stop right now. Some of you may be saying, who's doing what? What's going on in this church? It'll never be the person you suspect. Could be you. Could be me. Could be me. We all have the seeds of our own destruction in us right now. Right now. And the only hope you and I have is to stop trying to look good and humble ourselves before God. Yet honor me now. They want to sin without being rebuked. They don't want to be questioned. They want to be approved. And they whine about unconditional love. But they don't have any love for a holy God. Take your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 30. We're landing the plane here. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. There is a generation that are pure in their, in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Whose generation? Say this to yourself. It's my generation. You see, our flesh says, yeah, it's that younger generation. Yeah, it's that older generation. No, you know whose generation? It's my generation that does this. They're pure in their own eyes, and they're not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. They just think they're so great. How can they be? How can they be so deceived? Because they, they have a lot of practice at deadening their conscience. Look at verse number 20. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. I'm not at fault here. How can an adulterous woman say, I have done no wickedness? I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's blaming somebody else. She's excusing herself. You know why? Because she doesn't like being condemned. Your sin hates being condemned. Look back at Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Let me give you the the alternative to this very quickly. Because my sin doesn't like to be condemned. Go back to the last time you felt rebuked and you received it. Look what he says in verse 5, 141.5. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. You ought to count it a blessing when someone rebukes you and smites you with their words. If it's true, if they're telling you something you need to hear, stop running to your mom or running to your friends. Stop going into your cave of, you know, with bath salts and, and music just to get away from reality. I'm not saying anything's wrong with bath, salt, and music. Okay, I'm getting in trouble. Uh, I use them all the time. 
Stop, stop running and hiding from truth. Let the righteous smite you. It'll help you. It'll keep you from ending up where David ended up. Let, let them rep- reprove you. Hey, guys, when's the last time you asked your wife to shoot straight across the plate to you and tell you what you needed to hear that you didn't want to hear? I'm telling you, you want to talk about uncomfortable and antsy and irritable. That's me when my wife delivers a truth bomb. It's a blessing. I can't tell you how many times I was reproved by my father, by my predecessor, by other men that I've worked for and worked around. I had a pastor friend in, in the last several months told me, there's something wrong with your spirit. Something wrong with you, what you're, what you're saying. Your, your spirit's not right. And I could get on my high horse and say, you know what, brother? Why don't you work on your own church over there with those few sheep in the wilderness? Why, why, why don't you do your own thing and let me work on what I'm doing? I got a lot of burdens, okay? I don't know if you heard my house burned down. Right? I mean, people, you know, we're hemorrhaging people all the time. I've got problems here. You know what? He was right about what he said. Yeah, I've got my own problems. Yeah, and other things are happening to me that are not all not necessarily my own fault. They didn't set fire to my house. It's not all my fault. Some of it's my fault, but that, it's not all my fault. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't hear a rebuke when I need it. When's the last time you received a rebuke? Where someone said, you stink. And you said, well, maybe I do. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm saying you need to receive it. Because it's going to keep you from killing Uriah. It's going to keep you from shaming yourself in front of all of God's people. If you'll allow God to rebuke you and you'll be humble before God and say, God, it hurts. I hate this feeling, but you're right and I am wrong and I will humble myself to you because you are my God and I am not God. God, please be merciful to me. I I am asking you to give me the humility that I don't even feel I have right now, but I know you're right and God will be merciful to you. He will help you. He will bring you to a place of repentance. Let God burn this truth into your heart. The next sin will be just as damaging as the last one. Your next sin is going to be just as damaging as the last one. But I'm happy to tell you, we serve a God who is able to keep you from falling. He he is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. But you got to stay humble. You got to listen to his rebukes. You got to allow him to correct you and say, God, I don't have to be right. I want you to be right. Now, don't despair. The chapter of restoration is coming soon and it's going to be good. But maybe we can use this as another warning sign to help us avoid the plague that David had to go through. Let's bow our heads in prayer.